This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to the Morning Bulletin podcast where we round up all the big headlines from overnight concerning Liverpool FC. And to help me run through those headlines, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by the Liverpool Echo sports audience editor, Sean Bradbury. Good morning, Sean. Are you OK, mate? Yeah, very well. Thanks, pal. Yeah, um, looking forward to this, this trophy list this week and 30 years of uh, no Premier League or, or League title being finally put to bed, seeing Henderson lift that. So, yeah, in good spirits. How about yourself? Yeah, good, mate. It, yeah, it's like we're going to be a couple of very busy days isn't it but I don't know about you it feels like this is the moment that everyone's been waiting for hasn't it you know the actual trophy lists you know the, the title was won almost a month ago now but this is the the one everyone's had the date in the calendar for, for as you say a very long time oh yeah I think even before the restart people were looking ahead to this Chelsea game where you know obviously we had the derby that, that did take place but sure it took place with, with fans there back in March but, but yeah this, this date has been in the calendar for, for a long time and even though it's changed I think you can really feel that sense of excitement building once again. So, yeah, all eyes on Wednesday night now. Yeah, it's it's more so than a game, isn't it? It's, it's what's going to happen after it. And what we do know so far is that there's there's a specially erected stage in the middle of the cop and that's where the players will receive the trophy and the medals and Sir Kenny Dalglish will play his part in the proceedings. But uh, to start our first story, there were new details emerging last night and it, it came through a, an exclusive on the Echoes website by Paul Gorst, uh, our Liverpool FC correspondent. Yeah, so exclusive from Gorsley, as you say, that the Premier League have granted permission in principle for some family members of the squad, and I think some extra maybe non-playing staff as well, uh, to attend tomorrow night for the trophy presentation. And obviously, as we know, given the restrictions in place around uh, the COVID pandemic, it's been quite limited. I think it's only been uh, 300 or so people who were allowed in each stadium for each game, which would sound a lot, but obviously when you factor in players, staff, um, people needed to just kind of keep the stadium open and operate and then obviously the media and things like that it's it's a number that could quite very quickly um uh, be, be be seen so so yeah it's, it's it's a good thing but but there is another stage to go so the premier league are okay with it um but a decision will be made at some point ahead of the game by the ground safety advisory group who i think readers and football fans will be quite well aware of, of that group uh, recently because of decisions around where games would be played I think local safety advisory groups came into into play quite a few times in terms of deciding whether specific venues would be given a safety certificate for four games. Obviously, like the, the derby here was one which did eventually uh, and thankfully get played at Gunderson. And so, yeah, this, this group formed of like local authorities w- will be responsible for the final sign-off on the decision. But I think the fact that the Premier League have, have okayed it is is quite a big indicator that this will happen. And I think you've got to hope it can be done. And and you know, it, it seems fairly sure that it will be done safely. That, that every precaution is taken around the players and, and the rest of those 300 people who've been in grounds for games ever since the restart. They'll, they'll put everything into place, all the same protocols in. But yeah, I think it'd just be a lovely touch if those families who supported the players through two hugely demanding seasons and seeing them jet off to Qatar and all around Europe and all that and winning plenty of silverware. If they're there to finally see when the when the big one is lifted. Um, you know, it seems seems quite fitting if it could be done safely that that this group of people should be there. You know, they've, they've been there every step of the way with the squad as it is, and it's quite funny. Like that, uh, Gorsky put this story out, and there was about seventy odd replies to his tweet. I just had a little look at them before. It's all people claiming that Didier is their uncle or Virgil Van Dijk's their long lost cousin, and trying to say, you know, well, what about me? Can I come in? Um, but you know, I, I think fans will understand that. Uh, you know, the, the immediate family of these players. 
they're just key supporters and almost a key part of of how things work. Aren't they? You know, everyone knows how much their their own loved ones support them in their in their life and their and their job. So, so yeah, I think it's a lovely touch. But it must also be said that the club, the police, the council, and Spirit of Shankly released a joint statement yesterday, just saying, you know, like, to fans, please stay at home and watch all these celebrations uh, on on TV. You know, Peter Moore himself said. On this occasion, the best seat in the house is your living room. There's no benefit to going to the ground. And the city cannot afford for people to gather in large numbers for something like this, which is obviously true. And um, yeah, everything's, everything's on TV. And I believe it's on TV for free as well. So he's absolutely right there, the, the Peter Moore, that uh, you'll have a cracking seat watching everything at home tomorrow. I'm sure Stephen Gerrard, wherever he is tomorrow night, whether he's back up in Scotland or back on Merseyside at his home, will be watching at home. Uh, from his TV when Jordan Henderson lifts that trophy. Gerard's our next story. He's uh, He may also be thinking, let's face it, about a job offer, you know, because according to a story by our colleagues at Bristol Live, which we've picked up on the Echo website, uh, yeah, he's, he's a man in demand, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Interesting link there. So, uh, Bristol, 11th in the Championship, and I think that, as the, as the table is now, they're only eight points off the playoffs, but... Yeah, it seems seem to suggest that Gerard is, is has not ruled out moving there and they're certainly showing a significant show of ambition to try and get him. And as you say, Bristol Live are making the claim basically that he hasn't ruled it out yet. Um, going over there to City, so it's an interesting one. I think Gerard's next step is, is quite difficult because obviously where he is now at Rangers, he's already getting that experience of, of managing in a domestic league, um, having the expectation of doing well in the Cups and also... The, the joint demand of performing in Europe as well. Rangers obviously are still in the Europa League just about this season and they've got, got games to, to come uh, come up in August. So I think when, when Gerard eventually does come to England, which clearly anyone who's heard him talk, that is his ambition and his ultimate ambition, obviously, as he openly said, is one day to come to Liverpool. But that, that step from Scotland to England, I, I kind of thought, you know, establishing himself in a slightly lesser job before he takes a big step up, not necessarily to Liverpool, but just to another club of, of decent stature, you know that, that will be a step he has to take. You feel that you know prioritising the idea of getting used to English football and maybe taking a Championship team or, or a lesser Premier League team as, a, as an initial stepping stone does seem like a, a fair and obvious move. But, but then you also think, well, you know, Bristol is an interesting one, but on Bristol Live, our sister site, there is a hint that they wouldn't have much of a transfer budget at present. And I've always thought if Gerard does go from Rangers to the Championship, which you know is, is, is a step down in, in, in certain senses, even if it, it does seem like it paves the way for a, a move to a bigger club in England, he'd have to do it somewhere where there's a club with instant designs on promotion and and maybe the the resource to realise that. And so I think I don't know. You don't, don't want to write this one off because you never know. In, in, in some respects, it would it would make a kind of sense. But going into the Championship, which is as any football fan knows, not least those who follow the, the clubs in it, it's one of the most competitive leagues going. So, I think there would be there would be stuff to learn for Gerard making a move like this, and there's clearly stuff for him to prove as a manager. But you almost feel if 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 he was faced this summer with the choice of staying at Rangers or making this move to Bristol, you think he'd maybe be better served staying where he is for now, seeing if he can take another crack at Celtic next season and, and try and break their dominance a little bit and continue forging his, his development on the domestic and the European front, which obviously he would get at Rangers, but he said he wouldn't get in the Championship. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
Gerard obviously one of the best players ever to pull on a Liverpool shirt and while he may struggle to match those heights I think it's fair to say Sean that Andy Robertson is, is already one of the best left-backs the club has ever had uh, it's actually three years ago today that Robertson signed for Liverpool for £8 million from Hull City an absolute bargain that's turned out to be and Joe Rimmer has written a really nice tale about the signing for the Echo site Yeah it's a lovely read all, all about Rob as you say to, to mark that anniversary it's interesting that in, in the headline it says I think he's referred to as Klopp's best transfer um, and I always used to think Hippier was the benchmark for Liverpool's best ever defensive bargain. I think the Reds got him for something like two and a half million back in 1999. And obviously everyone knows he went on to play more than 400 games, captain the team, uh, won the treble, Champions League and all that. So phenomenal success for, for a bargain price. But yeah, you think, you think Robertson now, £8 million pounds three years ago, everything's already achieved, everything could still go on to achieve. He's only 26. I think he has to be close to, to, to Pippin, big Sammy there and, and maybe, maybe perhaps you can even say for, for that price um, and for the potential he's still got and what he's already won, he's, he's already there. So, yeah, then so there's a possible argument for him to be the best transfer. But also in this piece, there's a nice phrase from Joe where he says um, he's certainly the most satisfying signing of the Klopp era. And I, I think that is, is undoubtedly true because for as much as value for money shines throughout the entire squad, even the likes of Salah and Van Dijk, Alisson, you know, when, when big money's been paid for... The players, by and large, they've they've made that price tag look almost foolish, especially in the case of, of those guys who've been transformative in terms of the team. But you know, the the building blocks of this team that are everywhere almost, and someone like Robertson is, is absolutely so key to it. You know, he's got heaps of talent. He was a bargain buy. Um, he's someone who's had to work hard for it and develop. And, and we saw that period of transition. I think at the start of his Liverpool career, where it did take a few months for him to get up to speed. But as soon as he kind of wrestled that first team place. Um, and made it his own. He hasn't looked back, and, he, and he's he's an absolute key card to what this team does. I think as as well as on the pitch, he gets the ethos of the club, and I think that's that's part of where the dissatisfaction comes in when you when you sign someone and you develop them as a player, and, and they go on to achieve the success that he has. But they're also tuned in on a on a kind of social level with what the club and the city stands for. I think that's that's a huge bonus, and obviously helps in terms of his appeal with the fans. You know, everyone absolutely adores him. Um, by all accounts, you know, he's a huge presence in the dressing room as well, a bit of a joker and provides that kind of impact. But yeah, on the pitch, I'd, I almost sometimes feel slightly sorry for him in, in terms of the comparison with Trent. Is, Trent is, is an absolute phenomenon and being a local lad is absolutely adored as well. But I was looking at the stats briefly earlier and I think Robertson's had 28 assists in 125 games for Liverpool. And, and in, just in the league itself, he's not far off one in three. Uh, one assist every three games, and that, that's just behind the return of Trent. You know they they have this well publicised little mini battle in terms of. <laughs> but but I think it shows how important they both are to the to the system that Liverpool play. You know when when Klopp first arrived, he talked about Jagan Pressing being being the main playmaker, and you know that still is a key part of what Liverpool do. But the way they transformed the the fullback position and made these two threatening outlets who also obviously a, a, a key key defensive positions but you hurtle down the flanks get their crosses in and, and just are absolutely key in terms of how the team attacks uh, it's, it's phenomenal really and yeah Robertson it, it should never be forgotten how much he brings as well and it was great to hear him <clears throat> earlier in lockdown he was saying on a podcast that he could now picture himself staying at Liverpool for, for the rest of his career I think he even talked about potentially retiring here so 
yeah, I think I can speak for every Liverpool fan to say they'd be absolutely delighted if, if that was the case. Most definitely. He's, I remember seeing the, the derby the first game back and he, he didn't play in that one. It, it kind of reinforced just how important a player he is for Liverpool and one of the great things about him and, and so many players in this team, they are really injured, they really miss games. But, you know, as we've seen lately, there are going to be times when he, he needs a breather and, and you look at the squad and there's probably not a natural senior left back to, to take his place when he is out of the side uh, so there's been a lot of speculation at the moment whether Liverpool could sign that backup kind of player this summer and I know goals Neil Jones who's formerly of the Echo wrote about the situation yesterday uh, and I know he mentioned Jamal Lewis of Norwich City as a potential option and, and we've been having a look at, into the player for the Echo site as well Sean. Yeah there's a piece there with a just kind of like bio of Jamal Lewis and a little recap of his career up to this stage uh, it's interesting. I think what you said just before, in terms of the amount of football that, that certain players have across of a hundred games over the last two seasons, so it, it, it's, it's particularly acute with someone like him, who is who is so key to the system. And you know, wouldn't quite say he's undroppable, but like you say, very good point referring to that recent derby where I think him and Salah were were featuring, and without those left footers and and what they bring to the team, it was there was, there was imbalance and in in defence and attack, it, it wasn't quite right. That you know the the usual fluency wasn't there. So, so yeah, if you look at that left-back situation, Yasser Larucci, we understand, is going to be allowed to, to leave this summer and is keen on first-team football, which is, is totally fair enough. Uh, and, you know, he hasn't really featured much for, for the first-team, if, if at all, and, and occasionally on the bench. But he was someone who you look to maybe as, as the next generation and perhaps next season he would have got a little bit more of a look in. So I do think that's, a, that's an interesting point to us, to what they will do at left-back. Obviously, you know, Milner, we've seen Phil in there admirably um, and, and very well. Gomez and, and Williams have also played their out of position, but it, it's not really the same option as Robertson. It's not a specialist. It's not someone who can... Milner, perhaps, in, in, in a certain, to a certain extent, but it's not someone who can attack from that position, not in the way that the rest of the team would expect them to. Uh, so Lewis is, is an interesting name to be to be thrown out there. He's 22. He's obviously a left-sided fullback. I think can, can play a further in midfield as well, if required. Uh, it, it's difficult though, isn't it? You, you look at Norwich and you just think the idea of signing a defender from Norwich it just inherently seems <laughs> a, a bit of a gamble given uh, how, how poor they've been defensively this season um, it, up in the top flight. And obviously, their, their fate's been sealed for a while. They're, they're going back down to the Championship. But how many times have you seen it on the clock? It, 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 it's a transfer trait that him and Edwards have, have put in place with the likes of Wijnaldum, Shakiri, Robertson himself, relegated teams, poaching a player, you know, seeing potential in someone who's a bit of a rough diamond and can can do a job um, for your team. My, my one thing though is again going back to Joe's piece on Robertson um, when he was at Hull. I think one of one of the things that's mentioned there is, is how good he was in terms of crossing. Um, I think he put something like 119 crosses in in, in the season he was, he was with Hull and, and they went down. Um, and that was seen as you know something that Liverpool could harness and, and bring into their team. I haven't watched tons of Lewis, but. Strikes me more as a kind of dribbler, mm. um, you know, good good passer. Uh, so I wonder whether would he be in the exact same kind of mould as Robertson and and, and be a, an able deputy for him? Uh, we'll see. But but yeah, I think that's certainly in a, in a summer where transfer business looks like it will be kind of muted for 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 quite a lot of clubs and not a lot of business done. I think we can see a position now emerging where Liverpool have to do something, um, and you know, even if they have to get a little bit creative. Uh, in some way and recruit someone who can who can fill in for Robertson uh, you'd like to think there will be something done in that position Just to our final story 
Chelsea, obviously, the visitors to Anfield tomorrow night. And there is probably a growing feeling. I know it was spoken about by Matt Joe and, and Gorsty on Blood Red yesterday about that they could actually be closer to Liverpool next season, given the amount they've spent. And it, it looks like they will be spending this summer. You know, they've already signed Timo Werner and Hakan Ziyech and reports over the last couple of days suggesting they're pretty confident in signing Kai Havertz too. But there's a, a story on our website now written by Reese Chambers, which has been really well read, which actually suggests that Chelsea are making a bit of a transfer mistake. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. It's kind of suggesting that defence should be what they're prioritising. And I just had a little look at the table just just before we uh, we got on the phone and I didn't quite realise how how much of a standout this is. So Chelsea's conceded 49 goals this season, which is more than anyone else in the top 10. You have to go down to um, Everton and 11th who conceded 50, 53, but even Burnley only conceded 48. Um, and yeah, it's it's it really does stand out, and obviously that has a big impact on their goal difference. You know, they're, they're sitting in third with a goal difference of 15, which is which is pretty bizarre. So yeah, Reese is making the point that are they prioritising the, the wrong end of the pitch almost? Um, I, I I wonder whether Lampard is almost trying to do what Klopp did when he first arrived at Liverpool, which you know some of his initial priorities, certainly in in this kind of iteration of his team. From if you think from. I don't know, 2016, 17 onwards, when he when he really got a grip of, of what he wanted to do. And you've seen the likes of Mane come in, obviously, first. It's, it's probably the first big signing. Um, Salah in 2017, he already had know, But I think he he wanted to get the attack right first. And then then it was like, right, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we can score goals and we're a threat and uh, get that style of football started. And then then he addressed like the, the other big gaping holes in terms of getting a, a top-class keeper and, and centre-back in terms of Van Dijk. But, but yeah, I, I, I can see the point there Reese is making, but I think with Lampard, he's also got Pedro, Willian, Giroud, who are not getting any younger. Yeah. Uh, a couple of those who, by all accounts, are going to leave in ten because their contract's ticking down and they're looking for something different. So, like you say, Ziyech and Werner seem an obvious phase to to kind of solve some problems in the squad. But but it's certainly a fair point, given, given that porous defence. Uh, that they do need to some, do something about that. I think it's interesting when when you look at Chelsea and compare them with United, though, because United have almost done it the other way round in in the way that Reece suggests in his piece. You know, they got um, Maguire in, Wan Bissaka, and sorted the defence out. You know, made themselves a little bit more solid. And now we're seeing a much more expressive version of United. Obviously, with with Fernandez in, it helps given how, how well he's settled since January. But the front lines clicked. They're, they're all scoring goals. Pogba's come back in the fold. Um, so they've they've almost done it the other way around. Whereas Chelsea now, you think will will eventually have to go out and and try and bolster their defence a little bit to to back up what you think, at least on on paper, a, a pretty good attacking signings and will make them more of a threat. Um, so yeah, I, whether they're making a mistake, I'm not so sure. But but I certainly think Chelsea and and even United, for as much as I've kind of praised them there, I think I'm not sure either will yet have the consistency to challenge. Guardiola and Klopp's teams next season but I think it's fair to say it's going to be a much much tighter title race well indeed thanks very much Sean and thanks very much for listening that's all your headlines for today's morning bulletin we'll be back later this afternoon with the full audio from Jurgen Klopp's pre-match press conference and then after that Josh Williams and David Alexander Hughes will be with the Analyzing Anfield podcast so a couple more to look out for today and then obviously tomorrow it's all about that big Premier League trophy lift thanks very much You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.